0: Let's pray. Father, please bless our time in the Word. Father, that we may grow in our love for you, our affection for you, because of your great affection for us. You are good and holy and righteous, and you demonstrate your profound love for people. And I pray, Father, that today uh, we would not be so captivated by the novelty of what we will see in your Word Uh, as much as it is, is asking where our lives stand uh, in comparison to those things that please you. Lord, I pray that whatever we have on our hearts, that we would confess it now, remove it as an obstacle uh, so that we would grow in our fellowship with you, and that, Father, we would understand uh, more and more uh, your purposes for us in this life. Uh, Bless us now and illuminate the text our understanding, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So let's take our Bibles out and let's turn to Genesis chapter five. How many of you have a name that means something? Well, some share with us. Some, what does your name mean? Somebody share something. What does your name mean? Paul Small, the least of the apostles. Paul means small. Okay, Jamie. James usurper. Usurper. Stay away from that one. Go for it. Miriam means rebellion. Wow. What is it? Natalie means Christmas child slash joyful. We're going in the better direction. We were on the dark side for a while. Ruth, go for it. Friend to many. Excellent, excellent. Uh, My name, uh, not Jeremiah. It's not my long-form name. It's just Jeremy. Uh, God will uplift uh, my, my wife's name Beth we get it from Bethel house of God uh, when we were told we would never have children and then lo and behold she gets pregnant with Nathaniel we named him gift of God Nathaniel as the oh, whatever uh, we know Jesus means Yahweh is salvation we know that Barnabas means son of encouragement we know that Tom means old goat so we're we're, we're very clear on all of that right names have meanings and the interesting thing that we find see he's left me alone for a couple of weeks but then he came by my office today at the window and he gave me some kind of look and i think maybe he stuck out his tongue or something and it was it was so funny because chris was sitting there with me and we were talking and i said he's going to get it today so tit for tat buddy so but but okay good I look for it because I have the microphone and you don't. So, names mean something. We are getting ready to look at names. In fact, take a moment when you look at your Bible. By the way, I got a new Bible. You have all converted me to the NASB. So I'm going to do that to uphold the tradition that Pastor Steve has set here. I'm starting a new cult. It's called NASB only. Doesn't sound very healthy, does it? But for the sake of it, use it. So look at chapter 5, and if you glance down through there, what do you see? If you've got a King James, you've got begots, right? Begot, 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 and you're like, oh no, not a begot chapter. These are the chapters we devotionally and lovingly skip over, right? These are the ones that usually go by the wayside. But what if God wanted to use the names of people in order to reinforce his promise to the world? That's an interesting thing. So with that being said, and if you notice, I've got your blanks to fill in on this side. Let's take a look. Chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book. This is the writing of the generations of Adam. Generations. That word in Hebrew is the word Toledoth. Now, we've seen it before in chapter 2, verse 4. And what it's talking about is these are the descendants. These are the uh, um, generations of the legacy of type of idea. In fact, if you take a moment and you look back at chapter 2, verse 4, it's very interesting to see the first mention of Toledoth. And the reason why I bring it up is because Genesis is divided into a Toledoth structure. The real structure comes around it is generations is the idea. This person belongs to this person. And now here's the history that explains the meaning. But look at chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account. Does everybody see that? The word account is the word Toledoth. This is the generations, this is the uh, opportunity or the occasion of, this is the record of, of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Very interesting, the first Toledoth to be used in Scripture wasn't about people. It was about creation. And so what we have here in chapter 5, verse 1, is actually about people. It says here, In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Now, we talked a great deal about this a few weeks ago, but notice this has got its connection and reference back to chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And we talked about what those similarities, characteristics, and qualities were. If you need those, you can either listen to them on the website, or we actually have notes that are out there now. It says here, verse 2, He created them, now notice it, male and female, distinct, but equals. He created them male and female, And he what? He blessed them. Praise God for that, right? He blessed them. Genesis 128. He gave them a blessing, telling them to be fruitful and multiply. And he named them man. He named them Adam, is the idea. In the day when they were created. Now, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, right? And everybody's back just started hurting. And your hips started acting up. And the words Gay" came across your head, right? Good grief, 130 years. But notice what happens here. 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Now pause for a second. It is so important to let Scripture interpret Scripture. If we want to know what it is to be created in the image and likeness of God, the image and likeness of your father, your mother, those types of things, the Bible very clearly shows us what that looks like notice that it's not just characteristics traits that you might have a certain way of looking at life something like that but there is also a physical makeup that is in line there's so many people that look at the scriptures and they say well there's no way that adam was made in the image and the likeness of god as far as something physically concerned every time that god manifests himself to be seen it's in that type of figure you can never make out the details but you can always see the shape read ezekiel chapter one you'll get saved it's incredible Because you have where you can't really make up the top and you can't really make out the bottom, but what you can make out is that it's the appearance like as unto a man. We are made in that image likeness shape. And why is that? Because God fully understood that a sacrificial vehicle that needed flesh and blood to die for the sins of the world would need to be the form in which his son could take so that our salvation would be possible. That's why he did it that way. So we are all special creations of God in that image. Notice that Seth is now the extension of Adam's likeness and image. Notice that it reverses them for some reason. Isn't that interesting? It'd be interesting to ask the question why that is. Honestly, I don't know. But if somebody figures out, give me a call, let me know. Extension 1-3. So it says here, uh, and he named him Seth, your first blank. Adam's name means what? Man, we all know that one. That's good. But what does Seth mean? Let me tell you this real quick. By no means am I any good at Hebrew, okay? I got out of Hebrew class with a C minus. Don't tell Pastor Steve, okay? Uh, And if you want more, more information about it, Pastor Steve is the man to ask because that man knows more about Hebrew than anyone should know. It's unbelievable, okay? But here's one thing that we need to understand about word studies in the scriptures, Uh, Hebrew has vastly more possibilities of what a word could possibly mean than what would be maybe Greek or even English that we would understand. It's all over the place, and it's unbelievable. Uh, For instance, in the book of Job, you have over and over this word that is used, and it blessed 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 all throughout blessed 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 and then for some reason you get around chapters 38 to 42 and all of a sudden it flips to the word cursed same word but it means cursed it makes me think lord what are you doing you know that kind of thing now can we explain that no but we know that context determines meaning and because we don't have this Totally embedded understanding of what Hebrew was like at that time. We're going off the best that scholars can give to us. Not everybody is well-versed in those things. So when we talk about what are the meanings of these names as we go, proper names are completely different, but they resemble something much in the same way that our names do. So let's watch this real quick. Seth means appointed or ordained. I'm going to give you the possible meanings in the scope. The most popular possible meanings, ordained, uh, appointed is the idea, made to occur, uh, to place something or to set something. Sometimes if you can get on Bible Gateway or something like that and you can do a real nerdy study where you type in a word, it'll give you all the instances of how that particular word is translated. You can put those English results together and get a well-rounded understanding. Seth's name means appointed, ordained, place, set, Something like that effect. Now notice that when we move to Seth, or I'm sorry, when we finish up with Adam here, verse four, then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. There was A great deal of reproductivity that was going on. I knew I would mess that up, okay? So just do it slow and be good. But a lot of that going on, he had many other sons and daughters in order to fill up. We're having a population explosion go on over this period of time. Now, when you look at this, you add up, how old was he to begin with? In fact, it might not hurt. If you've got big margins over in your Bible, it might not be a bad idea to write Adam, Adam, And he was, we can write it down, 130 years, dash, Seth was born. Under that, 800 years after that birth. And then after that, total it up. It's 900 and what? 930 years. He lived 930 years. Now, what is the question we immediately have on our minds? How in the world did did Adam live that long? How is that? No sin was at the part of it, but sin did come into the picture. Huh, what's that? It was prior to the flood, so things were very different geographically on earth, and actually the atmosphere may have been of a different quality. Air quality might be different. You ever seen when football players get hurt, they spend time in hyperbaric chambers? It didn't work out too well for Michael Jackson after a while, but for these football players, it kind of does, right? Was that a bad joke? Yeah, <laughs> look over. Yes, it a bad joke. Be quiet. Preach the word. Exactly. But what it does is, is the more increased amounts of oxygen that you intake into your body actually has a repairing effect so that you recover from injuries quicker. Keeps you younger, longer is the idea. Could that have been a factor? It could have been. You know what I think it is? Nobody was eating barbecue. That's what I think it was. Nobody was eating pork barbecue. And even when in chapter nine, they are now able to eat meat, God still tells them in the law later on, don't eat pork, right? Right? This is why it was so beautiful for Peter to go, oh, yeah, right, Galatians? Anybody remember? Okay. Dead end with that. Let's move on. Here we go. So notice, then after, uh, verse 4, then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Verse 5, so all the days Adam lived were 930 years, and he, he died. You think Adam was a pretty great man? I mean, you think he knew here's the thing. Do you think he knows some things about God that we would like to know? Oh yeah. I mean, he had some knowledge, we're like, man, that's yeah, get me in on some of that. But no matter how much he knew, no matter how great he was, no matter what he accomplished, no matter how many sons and daughters he had, what got him in the end? Death. What led to his death? Sin. Where does sin come from? It originates within. That's the problem. That is the problem that we're dealing with. No matter what aspirations can be achieved by anyone at any given time, death wins out. It is a result of, I don't care about listening to God. I don't care about what he has. And because it was only one fatal mistake in that way, it was still fatal. So death gets you. Physical separation. It doesn't mean ceasing to be. It means they were physically separated. Spirit was then physically separated from his body. It says here, verse six. Seth lived 105 years, and he became the father of Enosh. Let me give you what his name means. His name means frailty. It means miserable. And the idea is that the word is to be taken in relation to human beings. Frailty miserable in relation to existence now why is that because sin is starting to dominate the conscience didn't we see Cain's line last week remember what dispensation are they in right now in conscience and so now because they've eaten of the tree they have the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong and Cain's line is a legacy of constantly consistently making bad choices horrible choices even to the point of taunting the curse through Lamech of his descent at the end of chapter 4. So, miserable, frailty, that's what that means. It says here, verse 7, And Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. Notice, population explosion. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and what? He dies. The next one, Enosh lived 90 years, and he became the father of Kenan. The name Kenan is similar to the word Cain. It's very similar in that. But it is derived from a word that's known in Hebrew as Kenal is what it is. Uh, If you wanted to phonetically pronounce it, it's K-E-E and then dash N-A-W. Kenal is the idea. And what it means is is sorrow. It means lamentation. It means to have a dirge played. It means uh, elegy is what it means. So write those down real quick. I'll repeat them. Sorrow, lamentation, dirge. Uh, yep, you came to church to work today. Exactly. You did. Get the pen a going. Nothing wrong with it. So so notice he lives. <clears throat> excuse me, verse 10. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan and had other sons and daughters. Everybody see the pattern, the repetition here? But notice what happens after that. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 12, Canaan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahaliel. Now, the word Mahaliel means praise of God. And one way you can tell in the Hebrew words is any time that you see E-L at the end. Of course, we know E-L-L like we understand Elohim, that idea, pertains to God in some way. Mahalio means praise of God or the blessed God is what it means. Either one of those praise of God or the blessed God. It has to deal with the idea of having admiration for the most high. Everybody got that? Okay, excellent. So notice he fathered Mahalio and had other sons and daughters or or forgive me. uh, Father Mahalio verse 13. Then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalio and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Anybody bored yet? Right? You're like, man, there's a reason why I don't go through this at home on my own. I'm telling you, hold on. Just hold on. We're going to see some stuff. So it says here, verse 15, Mahaliel lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Finally, a name we can pronounce. Right? One, you don't have any problem naming your kids if you had to. Jared. Jared means to bring down, or descent or send down. To bring down, descent, or to send down is what it means. It's what Jared's name means. So you should probably couple it with a really good middle name if that's what you're going to do. <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. Uh, he became the father of Jared. Verse 16, the Mahalia lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters, population again. So all the days of Mahalio were 895 years, and he died. Verse 18, now we're getting into a little bit more familiar territory with this. Probably the only thing we've ever spent any kind of time really researching in this particular chapter of Genesis. Jared lived 162 years and became the father of who? Enoch, we familiar with this guy? We are familiar with him. And what's the unique thing about him? What's that? He didn't die. He's one of the guys we know of that did not see death. Very interesting. But let's talk about what his name means. Enoch means trained or dedicated. It could be teaching. But it's the idea of some sort of communication that equips somebody with their mouth or lips, like a spoken word teaching type of deal is the idea. Again, the semantic range is unbelievable in Hebrew. So I'm hitting the the highlights, the best of what we can come up with here about it. So his name means training, teaching, uh, something like that along the, the means of speaking. Okay? Now, notice what happens here. Verse 19 Then Jared lived 800 years and he became the father, uh, after he became the father of Enoch, he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Yep. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Now, what do we know about Methuselah? That sounds terrible. Somebody raise your hand. Okay, go for it. Oldest person to ever live. Anybody know how I'm, don't look. Anybody know how old he was? How? Old? What is it? 969 years old. Man, you think AARP was ready to get rid of him? Good grief. 969 years, that's a lot. So, Methuselah is born when Enoch was 65. And then we pause for a second. Now let's talk about Methuselah's name. Methuselah's name means when he dies, or he shall be. Uh, or he shall be sent, either one of those. Uh, It can also mean, and this is probably an important one for the factor of what we're going to see when we put all this together, his death shall bring. And here is the reason why. When Methuselah died 969 years later, there was a period of time of mourning that the people had for him. And on the day that the mourning over Methuselah's death commenced is when Noah entered the ark and God shut the door. And here came the flood. So notice that his name has meaning. His death shall bring what? His death shall bring a whole lot of you don't want it. Right? It brings the flood. Now, very interesting to see. But we go back because of the structure that this is set up in. We got to look at Enoch before we move forward. Verse 22. And I want you to if, if you mark in your Bible, I promise you, Jesus won't hate you for it. then Enoch walked with God. Let that set for a second. Enoch walked with God. Where did we previously somebody walking with God? in the Garden of Eden? And who was it? Adam. And isn't it interesting that even after Adam's sin? He is not someone who is depicted as walking with God after the fact. Anybody find that interesting? I mean, Adam knew a lot. Adam understood God on a level that was incomprehensible to probably all of us. And yet, he's not listed that way in Scripture. Enoch walked with God 300 years. Hold it. Pause. When we talk about walking with God in Scripture, what are we talking about? Are you walking with the Lord? what does that mean like yeah hung out with him at the dinner club the other day is that what that means what does it mean to walk with god and fellowship with him isn't that one of those christianese phrases that we kind of throw out brother i've been walking with god lately (laughs) amen right and every and people that are just like in the world are like what is wrong with that guy he's walking with god jesus is my co-pilot right that kind of stuff If you have that sticker, I'm not making fun of you. Yes, I am. But anyway, but think about What does it mean to walk with God, to be in fellowship with him? What does that look like? It's a relationship with him. Okay, hold it. Is relationship and fellowship the same thing? (laughs) We're not sure, are we? Good thing we're walking through the Bible from the beginning. What is it? Here's the thing. We can say we're walking with God. If I said, are you walking with God? Yes, I am. Preacher? Right? That's the, I'm giving you the answer I want you to have. Or that's what we would say in Sunday school. That's the Sunday school answer. You know, or be honest about it, say, no, right now I'm not. How do you know? Obedience. What is it? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience is walking with God. Obedience is not being put forward so that you will be accepted. Does everybody understand that? No one is accepted by their obedience. That's impossible because only God can please God. That's vitally important. But it's because we have been graciously accepted by God that we now have a platform to obey, not so that he'll love us more. He already loves us maximum. But it's derived out of the maximum love he has for us. It should pour over into other people. Does everybody get that? So when we talk about walking with him, very, very important. In fact, would you say that if you're walking with the Lord, you are in a very much love relationship with the Lord? Anybody know what John 14, 21 says? I know I'm kind of throwing this out here, but it's coming to my mind right now, and the Spirit wants me to bring it up by him. Anybody know? Let's turn there. Let's just look. Just for giggles. Everybody likes giggles, Right? John, chapter 14. Anybody know the setting here, the context? Context, context, context. Jesus is talking to the disciples. Judas has left, so he's speaking to the 11. And I want to show you something extremely interesting, and this might jar your thinking, and this might be where your brain stops for a little while, but I encourage you to write it down if it's messing with you and go on with me. Chapter 14, verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. Look what he says. He who has my commandments, and he's not talking about the Ten Commandments, okay? He's not talking about the Mosaic Law here. He who has my commandments and does what? And keeps them. It's not enough to know it. You know it and you do it is the idea. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, look what it says, is the one who what? Uh Uh-oh. Stop for a second. Any he talking to the eleven? I mean, these are the guys that didn't betray him, right? I mean, we're talking Peter. You know, kind of rash, but still a good guy. John, James, Philip. You see what I'm saying? We're talking to guys that have been there for a while. Which is very interesting, because notice, it is possible to have that type of relationship with Jesus and not love him because he's speaking to the disciples how do you demonstrate that you have a love for jesus you know his word and you keep his word that's what it is to manifest a love for your savior so when we talk about walking we're talking about knowing his commandments walking in them, and it's so pouring over the fact that it's radiating a love relationship with the lord does everybody see that very interesting he's how many people that mess up a little bit No one? Okay, messed you up. Excellent. Let's talk about it later. Somebody send me an email or something. We'll type it out. Type it out like men. Be good. So, But it's important. Let's read the rest of it. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Does that mean that God doesn't love you unless you obey? No. It's talking about when you walk according to his commandments, when you obey... You start manifesting this love that you have for Jesus because you believe, get this, believe his word above everything else that you've been told. You're not walking in unbelief anymore. And when that happens, you cultivate an even deeper fellowship, love, relationship with the Father and the Son. You experience depths of his love. Does that make sense? Relationship is different from fellowship. Believing in Christ, that brings you into relationship with God. Walking with the Lord brings you into fellowship with the Lord. Now, when we talk about Enoch walked with God, this gives us some kind of understanding. Enoch is radiating a love relationship with the Lord, and don't everybody turn back. Don't get short-sighted. I hear the rustling of your papers, but just listen. When you're walking with the Lord, when Enoch is walking with the Lord, It's because he is convicted, persuaded. He is convinced about something. He believes what God has said. That's as simple as it is. What is the enemy of God? Unbelief. The enemy of God is not believing his word. Now stick with me. Turn over to the little itty-bitty, teeny-weeny book of Jude. It is right before Revelation. If you hit concordance, you went too far. If you hit maps, keep going. There's no hope. That's real encouraging and positive, isn't it? Exactly. The little book of Jude. If you've never done a study of the book of Jude, I encourage you. Sit down sometime. Get alone with it. Take it. This sounds silly, but trust me. Take it and print two copies of it out in big font on some paper print it out, and then start cutting the words in pieces and start putting together the train of thought. I know it's nerdy stuff. Get you some poster board from Walmart or something. You'll be amazed how how it comes alive for you to understand what is going on and how burdened Jude was when he wrote. Cool stuff. Anyway, skip all the way down to verse 14. By the way, it's chapter one of Jude. Everybody got that one? Okay, good. Verse 14, notice what it says. It It was also about these men, you'll need to read it later for context, That Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, he is the seventh out of ten mentioned in the generations in Genesis 5. So we see the connection. Now what did it say that he did? Prophesied. What does that word mean? Prophesied. Foretold. God said something. Enoch is repeating it. Or God said something to Enoch and said, go tell these people. Enoch was a prophet. He had the word of God burning inside of him that he had to deliver to people for their warning and their edification. He was there to warn them and to teach them. Now watch what he says here. Saying, here is his contents of his message. Behold. Now remember, we've only talked about this a couple of times. Anytime you see the word behold in the scriptures, imagine Lucy grabbing Charlie Brown by the shirt collar and Janking him around, and he's all of a sudden got three eyeballs rolling around, okay? You blockhead kind of thing. And what is it? They want to get your attention. Behold means wake up and listen, because it's important. That's what behold means. It says, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. Now stop. Verse 14, if you got a little letter there, or a number next to many thousands, if you look over, verse 14, his holy ten thousands, and some, if you translate this as the tenses, It's going to be future when it happens, okay? So so pay attention to what's going on here. Behold, the Lord came or comes with many thousands of his holy ones. Now here's what he's going to do. Verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Is Enoch politically correct? No. What is the contents of his message to people? Judgment. Judgment. Do you realize you can be a Christian and talk to people about judgment? It's okay. Do you realize that you can totally be friends with people, but an important thing to let them know is judgment. How many of you, when you get together with other people, want to start your conversation about judgment? Anybody? (laughs) Nobody does. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I like it. (laughs) Because I'm (laughs) fasty. Exactly. Why? Why don't you start your conversation that way? Because we don't want to alienate people. Because they won't listen to us. Well, I just don't know if I can bring it. Well, we're really close friends. I don't want to lose that relationship. They think we're weird. We are, yeah. We're not citizens of this world. They would also think, we were judgmental. They would also think what? We judgmental. judgmental. How dare you talk to me about judgment? You're so judgmental. Everybody see how that one fits together? That was almost too easy for him, wasn't it? But here's a question. Think about it real quick. Is Enoch wrong? Oh, see? That's the difference. And where was the factor of who he pleased found? With the world? No, with God. Think about what he said. Look at it again. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. Why? To execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, holding them accountable for their choice of how they lived their lives and the decisions they made and the actions that flowed out of them. And notice it says here, which they have done, how did they do it? Even their way was ungodly. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against, who? Against Jesus, against God. Notice that the hymn there has been capitalized for us. We're talking about out and out blatant blasphemers. Do you know somebody like that? You know what message they need to hear? Because their their hearts are not prepped for a message of grace. They're just not. They're too hard-hearted for it. The only thing that will get their attention is judgment. In fact, this is the same way in Acts 17, if you read it, that Paul addressed the people there. There's coming a day when God raised up a one that he is going to judge the world by. He didn't bring up the name Jesus. He Jesus He just says there's one that is going to judge you. God proved it by raising him from the dead, and then he dropped the mic and went home. That's what happened. And he left judgment. Same thing in Isaiah, exactly. So notice, judgment is a very pertinent message, but here's the thing I want you to get. Turn back to Genesis 5. Verse 22, Then Enoch walked with God 300 years, and he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365. Enoch walked with God. Notice he brings it up twice. And he died. No, and he was what? He was not. Here is the first evidence of rapture in the scriptures. He was taken. He was translated. He was snatched away. Same thing, you look at 2 Kings and you deal with Elijah. It's very different there because we see, we get the details that a chariot came down and swooped him off the earth. Was Elijah a righteous man? Is Enoch a righteous man? Here's the thing, 365 years. I mean, if we're going to go through this. He was on the earth the shortest of all of them, wasn't he? If, if Enoch was so on fire, why'd God take him? I mean, couldn't he have been accomplishing even greater things if he hung out longer? We think. Have we ever thought about that before? If Enoch would have just stayed around longer, maybe more people would have got saved. Is that true? Maybe, maybe not. No, yes, could have been. Was God wrong in taking him? See, that's the answer to the question. We got to come back and look at it like that. God was not wrong in taking him. Enoch lived and preached in such a way as to where God spared him the consequences of the curse. Does everybody see the grace in this genealogy? How fantastic is that? Man, it's cool. It's real cool. So let's move on here verse 25. <laughs> Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Lamech's name is very difficult. Okay, if you're writing it down, warrior, conqueror are the first two meanings that come. But there's also some similarity. Uh, And again, I'm not ever going to try to use the English to say this is how it's derived out. I think that's a silly approach to take because of the range of meanings. But the idea of lamentation or a despairing attitude, it could possibly have any of those possible meanings. Now. I have a meaning also. You have a meaning? Yeah, it means old goat. <laughs> oh, my bad. Uh, I got this out of a proper names dictionary. Okay. Uh, why thus with me and unto bringing love? I didn't understand anything you said. What? Unto bringing low. Unto bringing low. And why thus with me. Why thus with me. Was it a King James name concordance thing? No. Okay. No, just a proper name. Okay, so your, your, your second meaning there, what was it? Unto bringing low. Unto bringing low. Does everybody see how there's a similarity and connection to what it could be to be despairing in a situation, in a figurative sense of the word? Okay, so so good, excellent. I know you did homework on this. Now I'm intimidated. (laughs) Mm. As we stroke our beards and look wise. Exactly. So, that's a possible good. So now let's move on here. Verse 25, Methuselah lived 187 years, became the father of Lamech, and Methuselah lived 782 years. After he became the father of Lamech, he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son and here's where the narrative changes again now he called the name what noah Noah. and we're so familiar with it because of noah's ark right so familiar with it saying now notice this is the proclamation about noah's name this one Will give us rest from our work. Now, if you have the NASB, you've got a little number there next to the word give. Everybody see that? Look over in your margin. Comfort us in this situation. And notice what it says. He will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Pause. Is Lamech very familiar with the curse? that has gone on. Notice it's not just he's born into it and says, well this is just the way it is. Does he get the fact that God cursed the earth for a reason? Yes? Everybody take your papers that you have here writing down and turn over on the back. I tried to make it as clear as possible for everyone to look at. And it stretches all the way down to Israel. It was difficult for me. Uh, This is from an Answers in Genesis site. Notice I've cited it for credit down there. But everybody see where Adam begins. The difficult thing at the very top about where Adam begins is we don't know how old he looked when he was on the earth. Was he created as a 20-year-old man or as a 60-year-old man? We don't have a clue. But we know his time on the earth was 930 years. That's our starting point that we get. Now notice where Adam ends. Everybody see that? Everybody see where Adam ends there at the top at 930? Take your pinky finger and follow it all the way down until you meet the last person it would have intersected with to be born. Who is it? Lamech. Everybody see it? Take your pinky finger at the very end of Adam's life, 930. Trace it all the way down and notice in 874, Lamech is born. Do you realize, remember Moses wrote Genesis, first five books he wrote those, okay? Do you realize that Adam was probably having personal conversations with Lamech after he was born. I mean, if you think about it, if he's born in 874, then they've got about 55 years in order to converse with one another about what went on. And I'm sure Adam often told the story about him being in the Garden of Eden when it was sinless perfection, reminding humanity. They didn't have it written down. It was all oral tradition. So it's important to see how these long lifespans open up something that is drastically distorted in everything we deal with, and the same thing we talked about last week, communication. There was able to be a very clear communication about what was going on in the world beforehand. Now, if we move forward, verse 30, let's finish this up. Then Lamech lived 595 years. By the way, Noah's name means rest or comfort is what it means. He became the father of Noah. He had many other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. Noah was 500 years old and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it doesn't really give us a distinction of which one was born first. Now, here's the interesting thing. Look at your list. Look at what you've written down. This is the reason why I wanted you to take the time to write it all down. Because I want you to see how it all goes together. Pay attention. Let's go down through it. Man is appointed miserable sorrow. The blessed God shall bring down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort. Does everybody see that? Let me go over it again for you. Man, Adam's name, Seth, is appointed. Enosh, miserable, Kenan, sorrow, lamentation, dirge, elegy. Mahaliel, the blessed God, Jared, shall bring down, shall send down. Enoch, teaching or training. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech. Despairing, and this is why it's difficult with Lamech, warrior, conquer, lament, despairing, uh, the one that Tom brought up especially, uh, and then at the end, rest. Does everybody see that God wanted to use this righteous generation and lineage of Seth in order to communicate his promise of keeping the gospel? Man has got himself in a problem, in a pickle, and it's a bad one because death is the result. But what God is going to do, even though he is the offended one, He is going to send forward one that is going to teach and who is going to die in order to bring all of us who are despairing in this life comfort and rest. That's what's going to take place. That's really cool. It's really amazing that God wanted to put that together for us. You've got some notes going on there about why I think this is a legitimate interpretation of this. But here's one thing I want to get back to. Have we ever thought about what it would look like to to be like Enoch? I mean, if God is taking these generations, he's spending this time, he wants to communicate the gospel, and he wants to use generations, 900 years of people, 1,000 years of people's names in order to communicate this idea of, I am trustworthy and I will keep my promise. Enoch obviously held fast to this more than anyone else in that lineage, and god approved it and god spared him and god had grace on him do you think you could live like enoch today what in this world keeps us from living like enoch cuz here's the thing that here's the thing that messes with me honestly when i read enoch's testimony here what he said in jude i'm like man there doesn't seem to be a lot of love in that how is he really loving people in this And then an apple fell on my head. When you talk about judgment with people, are you being unloving? No, but let's be honest. Is this not what the media and the world and the newspapers and everybody on Facebook has sold us hook, line, and sinker? If you talk about judgment, if you talk about standards, if you talk about righteousness, if you talk about sin, you are unloving. And love trumps all. Why? Because the Beatles said all you need is love. Right? And obviously, their theology is way better than what God's got going on. Does everybody see how those are not opposites? Now, think about this real quick. This is real dangerous. How many of your friends have had enough of the well, well talk and really need to sit down and say, Do you realize that a judgment is coming? I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I don't care if you think that I'm out of my mind. I don't care if you think that you never want to be friends with me anymore. Do you realize that God holds everyone accountable and we are responsible for our actions? Well, he's not a very loving God then. Yes, he is because when there was no more hope, he provided one. Well, that's very narrow-minded. Stop. Was God obligated to save anyone? No, but he provided a sacrifice that was so sufficient it can save everyone. Now, I wasn't going to do this, but for some reason it's coming to my mind. Take your Bibles. We don't have Sunday school going on yet. We can go over. Take your Bibles. Go to Romans 5. Everybody get comfortable. And we're going to start in verse 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and chapter 5 is after chapter 4. That joke never gets old with me. I'm sure with you guys, you're like, you've been here three months and you say that every time. Enough, enough. Just before, Tom, hey, just before chapter 6. Just humor him, okay? Just kidding. Verse 12. Therefore, and I encourage you to study what the therefore is therefore later, okay? But stick with me. Just as through one man sin entered into the world. Who's the one man that sin entered in through? Adam. We all got that down. We're all familiar with it. We've all trekked together through that part of the Bible. But watch what happens. Through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, right? And why is that? And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Not only are we sinners in act, but we've inherited sin because that has now become part of the image and likeness of our great, 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 great grandfather Adam. We all have it now. It's infected us, and we can't get rid of it. So watch this, verse thirteen. For until the law, Exodus twenty, sin was in the world. Yes. Yeah, we know that at Cain and Abel, right? Cain killed Abel. Bad stuff, sin's in the world. But notice what it says. But sin is not imputed. It's not counted where there is no law. Now, does that mean that sin doesn't matter? No, that's not the idea that it's getting at. Keep reading so you see what it means. Okay, context is everything. Nevertheless, even though that's the fact, death reigned from Adam until Moses. How do we know that sin was still serious? Because people died. That's how we know. Even though the law wasn't saying this is sin and this is sin and this is sin, our death testified to sin's existence in the world before the law. Does that make sense? Everybody, who's confused? Everybody good? Okay, great. Stick with me. I'm real jazzed about this, okay? I'm starting to get sweaty and my deodorant starting to smell really good. So everybody stick with me here, okay? So notice this, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned, In the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, we know that to be who? Jesus. Good. Now, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. What is the free gift? Salvation. Salvation is the free gift that cannot be earned and is graciously provided at great cost to God himself. The free gift is not like the transgression for... Here's your explanation. If by the transgression of one, the many died, many, pause. How many people died from this transgression? Many or everyone? Everyone but Enoch and Elijah that we can figure out so far, right? So notice, doing pretty good here. But notice, the many here, context, 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 think, means everyone's got this problem. Everybody's in this same despicable boat. So here's what it says. Many died, much more did the grace of God, And the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to who? Many. Pause. Before when you read many in this verse, did it mean all? Yes, it did. All have sinned. So what do you think this word many here means? All. The grace of Jesus Christ is abounded to all. Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone. He is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not our sins only. The sins of the entire world. And the word world means, hold on to your hats, world. It means world. You'd be surprised what some people think the word world means. It means world. It means people. It means everyone. Now pay attention to what goes on here because here's where it starts to get you. Verse 16, the gift of salvation is not like that which came through the one who sinned it's not like what came through adam for on the one hand the judgment there it is arose from one transgression resulting in what condemnation sin results in judgment results in condemnation everybody got the flow and who did this come out of adam sin originates within but look what it says after this but On the other hand, the free gift, salvation, arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification, resulting in justification. God made you able to be justified before a holy God, removing your sin issues and the barrier of sin being gone for the entire world. Now, is that universalism? No, And I want you to pay attention to why. Watch. Verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace. Pause. Those who do what? Receive the abundance of grace. Just because all sin has been paid for for saved and unsaved people doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven. That grace must be received. However, Jesus has died for the world and made it available. The sin barrier between God and man has been demolished by the cross. And now the invitation is made open to everyone, but it has to be received. Now pay attention here. It has to be received. Receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now watch this. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, right? that corresponds with the many we saw before. We know that comes through Adam. Look what it says. Even so, through one act of righteousness. Who did the one act of righteousness? Jesus Christ. Good, everybody's with me. There resulted justification of life to all men. But it has to be received. God knows our predicament. He knows That sin brings death and that death, even though it happens in a physical sense, is brought to a condemnation. Where? In the lake of fire. Why? Because God hates sin so much because it is everything that is opposite of who he is. Does that make sense? It is completely otherworldly, or let's put it this way. Sin is so worldly and he is completely otherworldly that he is apart from it and can never be identified with it. It is a clear barrier. What does he do? He remains just. He is still God, most high, on high, ruler of all things, and yet not violating his holiness, his righteousness in any way, he sends forward his son to destroy the barrier that separates the two and opens a pathway for all who will receive it. Do you think judgment is an important conversation to have with people? because judgment leads to the open road of talking about the gospel. Do you realize that your sins are paid for? Do you realize that all we're waiting for is your response to the cross of Christ? When you believe in him, righteousness is then imputed. It's counted in your stead. I love to use this illustration even though it's a terrible one, but I'm gonna use it anyway because y'all seem fun, right? Imagine there's two bank accounts, You and Jesus just bank at the same place, okay? In Jesus' bank account, you have overflowing riches beyond compare. The nines on the screen can't even keep up with it. But we check out your bank account and all we find is, you know, cobwebs and it kind of smells funny. Like pickles that have been there for a while, I don't know. But it's bad. You got nothing. Nothing. In salvation, here's what God does. He provides a means for you to have riches evermore, to be in the black all the time. When we believe, we now receive that. It is a connection to God's infinite bank account, to our destitute bank account. And now, anytime that we put in our PIN number and we look at our balance, we're seeing what is in the other account. Does that make sense? It is imputing his righteousness, his worth, his excellence into you. Now, we don't feel very righteous and excellent and amazing, do we? No, aren't you glad that feelings don't run the show? Thank God for facts. Thank God for truth. Let's pray. God, thank you for the promise of the gospel manifested in something like a genealogy that you see our destitute estate. And Father, just how amazing Enoch is. How on fire Enoch was. How he so pleased you that you spared him from the consequences of the curse and you gathered him unto yourself. Lord, what an amazing and lofty position that must have been. Father, I pray that our hearts are stirred right now by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. to not want to be like that for acceptance. Father, let that acceptance situation be already settled in our minds. You love us totally. But Father, to know how pleasing it is because we believe your truth, we communicate your truth. We don't have to be jerks to do it. Soften hearts full of love, caring for people where they're at and realizing that Christ is the answer to all of our problems. Father, if we're not convinced of this truth, if we're not convicted of this truth, Lord, bring it upon us now, I pray it, please. Help us to see that that's very much what you wanted to communicate, even back in chapter 5 of Genesis, your salvation, that you would bring, your death would bring comfort and rest to people. Thank you, God, for loving and unloved people and unlovable people as only you can do. Thank you, God, for being God. We pray it in The name of Christ, our marvelous, marvelous Savior. Amen.